1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord, we, we see your sovereignty, we see your power, we see your wisdom in what we call the Lord's table or communion, Lord. And I ask today for your anointing to be able to preach this word in a way that would affect us for the rest of our time here on this earth, Lord. I pray that you would fill me afresh with your spirit, that you would lead and guide me, and that uh, you would prepare your people's hearts to receive this word, Lord, and that it would bear fruit for your glory, God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to take communion today, but we're going to do it throughout the service. And the reason being is, is because I think, I think that the Lord's table or communion, whatever you want to call it, uh, will have a greater depth, a greater richness if we have a, a more full understanding of the culture and the context of Jesus' last Passover meal, the Last Supper, as some would call it. It's his last Seder meal. Uh, so all, whatever term you want to use, it's the last time that Jesus would have a Passover meal with his disciples on the earth. And what we have to understand is Passover as a whole, okay, which we'll explain in this message, is a form of prophecy. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, Passover is a form of prophecy called biblical typology. And what that does is that uses people and places and or things as revelations of greater truths that are to come. And so when they're fulfilled, you go, oh, that's what that meant. That's, I get it now. And that's kind of my heart for today's message, is that you would understand this time that we celebrate the Lord's table together in a deeper way, and you would uh, rejoice in it even more. It would be one of those situations where when we look back, we will see what God had in mind all along, all those years ago when he did this. And that's why it's called biblical typology. What the Passover does is this. It foreshadows the events and the exact time of Jesus' crucifixion. 1,500 years before he was crucified. That is amazing. The exact time and the events. What we have is this. God commanded Israel to do something on a regular yearly basis, and that was to remember his delivering Israel from Egyptian slavery through the 10th plague. And God said, I want you to remember this. If you remember, if you go back, I, watch, I love watching this every time this year. The Ten Commandments, right? Don't you love that show? Charlton Heston, he is the man. Anyway. I'm watching it last night, and I'm watching the plagues and stuff. And what happens is on the 10th plague, God said, listen, I want you to remember me delivering you from Egypt, and I want you to do it yearly, and this is how I want you to do it. Take a look, God's word. We go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 11 through 14. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, 
and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. That was the lamb they were supposed to sacrifice and then eat, eat it in a certain way. He's saying, and then you put the blood on the doorposts. He said, that's the Passover. And he goes on, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the term Passover. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Then he goes, in the next couple of verses, he goes through some of the specifics of that. And then we get down to verse 13, Exodus 13, chapter, uh, Exodus 13, 10. You shall therefore keep this statue at its appropriate time, specific time of the year, from year to year. So it was to be an annual celebration. It was to be held on a certain day of the year. And the, the, the time frame was supposed to be very specific. Now when this happened... When God told his people to do this, it was about 1,500 years before Jesus came. God said, I want you, this is when I want it, this is how I want you to do it. And so that is the picture. What you need to know is this, is that the Jewish community still celebrates Passover. They're celebrating it this week. And they still go through what they basically did at the very first Passover in 3,500 years, not a whole lot has changed. It is about the same as when the Jews were freed from Egyptian slavery. The word Passover means to spare. And today is where the annual week-long Passover celebrations happen. Very similar, very, very, very similar to what happened then. So it was more than one day. A lot of people don't know this, but Passover is about a week long. And what happens is Passover begins with what the non-Jewish community calls Palm Sunday. That's today. We call it Palm Sunday. The Jewish community doesn't call it that. But something specific happens on what we call Palm Sunday. We have a reason why we call it that. But what occurred was that what happened is this. About five days before the national lamb was sacrificed... Let me explain what the national lamb was. The national lamb was a lamb that the Jewish Sadducees and Pharisees would pick, and it had to be perfect, without spot or blemish is how it's described. And they'd pick this national lamb that was going to be sacrificed on the day of Passover to remember what God had done at the first Passover. Now, families could bring Passover lambs to have sacrificed for their family, but this is the national lamb. And they would bring this lamb into Jerusalem and into the temple. And it was this great, like a parade, like a processional, right? And they'd bring it in, and they'd bring it to the temple. And for five days, people would examine this lamb to make sure it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. And on the fifth day, they would slaughter the national lamb. Well... When they start this processional, they're bringing the national lamb into Jerusalem to start Passover. A lot of scholars believe this is the time when Jesus followed this processional 
that were bringing in the national lamb, he followed it on the colt. He was sitting on the colt. In other words, they're all celebrating. This is the national lamb to be sacrificed for our sins. And Jesus is saying, I'm the lamb of God, going to be sacrificed for your sins. Take a look at God's word again. John chapter 12, 12 through 15. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees. That's where we get Palm Sunday. Palm trees back then were a symbol of freedom and defiance. And went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, which means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a a donkey's colt. So Jesus is coming in here on this national procession. And and part of it, if you read the story, is he's weeping over Jerusalem. You know why? Because they're looking for a political savior. Somebody would set them free from Roman oppression. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about that. It's about spiritual salvation. That's what it's about. And it was, there was a hint here, again, for us to understand some of the little things. If Jesus would have ridden in on a horse, that was a symbol of war. He didn't. He rode in on this colt, which was a symbol of royalty. Isn't it sweet? All this imagery that we don't understand. And so he comes in and he follows this national lamb. And if you read about what happened to Jesus in the week between when he came in and when this, this uh, last supper or his last Passover is when he went into the temple and the Sadducees and the Pharisees were grilling him. They were checking. They were examining Christ. It's amazing, amazing what God was doing. So then what happens is this. One day before the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed, we know that day is Good Friday. One day before the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed, there was what they called a Feast of Passover. Okay? The Feast of Passover was a special meal that Jewish families, they still do to this day. It it has nine specific items on it that are object lessons. And there are four cups of wine with different names and with different symbolism that are part of this meal. This is what Jesus was celebrating with his disciples at the Last Supper. Now, I put down here Gospel of John chapters 13 through 17. If you go to the Gospel of John and you start in verse 13, you go to verse 17, that's all discussion that Jesus had with his disciples during this last Passover meal that he had with them. All of those chapters are about that conversation that he was sharing with his disciples at this last Passover that he was celebrating. Now, it has stayed the same for many, 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 many years. There was one change that happened in uh, the Passover meal. It happened during the Babylonian exile. Do you remember last week we were talking about 2 Kings, and at the very end of 2 Kings, you had the southern kingdom, and the southern kingdom was finally taken over by Babylon, by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they were exiled into Babylon. That's where Daniel was taken and his buddies. Well, what happened is during that time that they were in Babylon, some uh, Jewish scholars believe this is when this came into being. Something was added to what they have on this special plate. And it's a roasted egg. Roasted egg. Uh, 
they believe, Jewish scholars believe, it came from one of the fertility gods of the Babylonians called Ishtar. Easter? So what happens is, sometimes you run across a Christian and say, oh, we don't do the eggs at, at Easter time because that's about the fertility god. Well, technically they're right. It was about new life and everything else, but technically, yeah, I, I see where they get it from. But just so you know, that was kind of a, something that, was, that shifted a little bit there and how they celebrate the Passover now. Anyway, as this meal begins, you start with a cup of wine that's called the cup of sanctification or the cup of blessing. And what they would do is before they, uh, before they drank it, they would recite this, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. They would proclaim that, and because they understood that Israel is God's vineyard, and there was going to be a special vine prophesied in the Old Testament that was going to be the choice vine who was going to become the Messiah. And a lot of scholars believe this is the point. When Jesus took that cup, because he's, he's doing the Passover meal, he takes this cup, this cup of sanctification and blessing, he reads that, and he says this, maybe you've heard it. I am the true vine. Take a look. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Remember, verses 13 through 17 are his discussion with his disciples at his last Passover. So was this the point where he took that cup and he read that and he said, I'm fulfilling this right now. I'm the, I am that choice vine. I'm the Messiah, guys. So he takes this cup and he drinks of it. Then what happened is, uh, and we see here, he, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Then what happened is they took the second cup of wine. And they would do this. Everybody would dip their finger in it, and they'd put a, a little drop on a plate, and they would recite the first of the ten plagues. Then they would do it the second time, and recite the second plague, and then the third, all the way to the tenth. That was why it was called the cup of plagues. And they would remember the ten plagues that God sent on Egypt in order to free his people. After the cup of plagues, it was followed by what they call the matzotash. What in the world is the matzotash? Well, first of all, what is matzah? Matzah is an unleavened bread. To start the feast out, they were supposed to go through the whole house and eliminate all leaven because leaven was considered a symbol of sin. And so there was unleavened bread. And they would have to make this matzah, all right? Very interesting how it's made. It was, it was, there were specific ways that they were told to make it in the Word of God. And what happened is, is they, they would take this unleavened bread and because they were, it was a representation of the Israelites being on the run because they had been freed from slavery in Egypt, they only had grills. They didn't have ovens. So the bread was grilled. You ever grill meat? What do you have on the, on the meat? Stripes, right? So then they had a problem. In order to make the bread cook through clearly, they had to pierce the bread with holes so that it would cook through. And when the bread would cook, 
it'd get these brown bruises on it. Isn't that interesting? That's matzah. Symbolism, even in the unleavened bread that is used for the Passover meal. Wonderfully. I, I, I just stand in awe of God. All I can do is worship him. Even down to this detail. Well, then you have the tosh, matzah tosh. What is the tosh? It was a three-pocketed, like a cloth thing. And they would take three pieces of matzah, and they would put one in each pocket. Right? So they would sit in this matzah tosh like this. And then, this was how the, the, it started out that way before the meal. And then when they get to this point, after the cup of plagues, they'd remove the center one. And what they do with it, the Jews to this day don't understand. So at this time, I'm going to call up my ushers. Ushers, who are going to hand out communion, would you come forward, please? Uh, for those of you that are maybe guests today, um, we welcome you to join us. You don't have to be a member of this church to take communion with us. If you are a born-again Christian, take it with us. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the church universal. So you don't have to be a member. But I will say this. We believe that it, you are not saved if your good works outweigh your bad. That's not biblical. We believe that it is by God's grace alone through faith alone, in Jesus alone. In other words, God isn't weighing out your good works to your bad, and if your good works outweigh your bad, you get to go to heaven. It's the fact that we can't be good enough, that Jesus came and he died for our sins. He lived the perfect life that God required that we couldn't do. And then when we, by God's grace, receive the gift of salvation by acknowledging I'm a sinner separated from God, there's no hope from me outside of Jesus and we receive that gift of salvation, and we say, yes, Lord, I'm yours. Putting our trust completely in Jesus. If you believe that for your salvation, you're a Christian, and we want you to join us. Parents, we trust that you know best whether your kids understand what this communion time is all about. So we're asking you, if you feel that they're ready for it, that's fine. But I, I say this every time when I lead communion. This isn't snack time. So hold off if they don't understand. There'll come a time where they will. But we're going to partake of communion throughout the rest of this sermon so you have a better understanding of what all these things represent. So as soon as this is handed out, we'll uh, continue on. Just so you know, these are trained professionals. <laughs> Pete's done this a lot, right, Pete? <laughs> okay, so you have this, this matzotash, and in the centerpiece, they take this out. This centerpiece, the Jews understand, is this. This middle matzotash 
represents the mediator between God and man. Represents the mediator between God and man. So they pull out the center one, and they do this, and they, they don't understand why. They break the center one. And then they have this white linen that they take, and they put, they bury the broken matzotash in the linen, and they bury it, they hide it. Isn't that interesting? What they do then is that they eat their meal, and after the meal is done, someone goes and finds the buried matzah that was hidden by the father during the meal. Pops waits till everybody's not paying attention. He sneaks out and hides the, they call it the afikoman at that point. That's the term. And then the kids got to go run out and find out where it's hidden, and they bring it back. It's resurrected. And they bring it to dad, and dad takes that buried matzotas, and he breaks it into little pieces. And he gives everyone at the Seder meal a little piece of the buried matzah, now resurrected. And he hands it to them, and they all, everyone, eats it. And they have no idea why they do this. The Jewish people today still do it, and they don't know why. But Jesus explained what was happening. Take a look at God's word. John 19, 40 to 42. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in a linen, linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. <clears throat> and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. <coughs> so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was closed at hand, they laid Jesus there. Jesus is at this point in the Passover meal, <coughs> the, matzotash, that, the matzah that was hidden is now resurrected. They break little pieces. And this is where scholars believe Jesus said this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. He's saying, you do this, because this was pointing to me. All along. For 1,500 years you've been doing this and you don't know why and I'm about to tell you why. Because this is my body broken for you. You see, 1,500 years later, the Father said, this is what you're going to do with this. And it was pointing to Jesus on the cross and they still celebrate Passover the same time of year. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take it together. Jesus explains, it's about me. After this, there was a third cup of wine. It was called the cup of redemption. And what this cup purpose was this, that you had to look back. The intent of this cup was to look back 
and to remember that God had delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. We look back and see how God has delivered us from sin, how he has paid the penalty for us that was righteously owed us, that we were to be punished because God is just. And Jesus took that punishment for us. So we look back and we remember that we have been delivered from sin and the righteous wrath of God because of what Christ did for us, his perfect sinless life, his death on the cross for all who would believe. So we look back, just like the Jews did during this time, during this cup of redemption. And they also looked forward. This was a time to remember that, you know what, our Messiah is coming. At a Jewish Passover meal, they always had one chair that was empty, and that was for Elijah. They had this one chair empty because they knew that Elijah was going to come back someday and tell them the Messiah has come. Elijah has come back. Remember Jesus talking about that? Elijah has come back and has proclaimed Jesus is the Messiah. So the Jews are looking for someone who has already come. We know him as Jesus, fully God, fully man. Yet they'll have Jewish people today, if they're not Messianic Jews who believe Jesus was the Messiah, they'll have a blank, empty chair in their celebration, their Passover meal. And what happens is they take this cup and they're looking back and they're looking forward that maybe Elijah will come and the Messiah will come just as God has promised. This is probably the time when Jesus said to his disciples, this Passover, today it's fulfilled. Today it's fulfilled. And what he did was he commanded at that time that Christians were to symbolically remember what Jesus had done, how he inaugurated the new covenant. It's symbolically. Jesus doesn't become the wine or the bread or in with and under. It's symbolic. That's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus brings forth this cup. Take a look. This is what God's word says. Jeremiah, what is the new covenant? Well, here's what the new covenant is about. Jeremiah 31. 31 through 34, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people." And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sins no more. That's the new covenant. Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross in payment for all Christians' sins. That's why our sins will not be remembered. That's the new covenant. And Jesus said this, He said, in the same way also. So if you have your cup, take your cup. So Jesus is is coming to this point in the Seder meal. And he says, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We remember the sacrifice he made for us. Let's take
Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That's why we take communion once a month here. Because this is a way that we can walk in obedience to God's word. He said, do this regularly. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take communion once a month. But we also do something unique in this church is we have a Maundy Thursday service. Because that was probably the day when Jesus, that was a representation of the day that Jesus was with us his disciples during his last Passover meal on earth when he took communion with them. So we will have a service this coming Thursday. It's our Monday Thursday service, and we will have communion there because that's what Jesus did with his disciples the day before he was crucified. And so we, we honor this command through monthly communion and once a year, Monday Thursday. So I want to encourage you to come if you have an opportunity and partake in that. We're just following through with what Jesus had told us to do. But there's something unique here that happens in this moment that is so precious to you that you don't even realize it. Especially when you take communion together as a body of Christ. Jesus did something here. He tied the Passover celebration to his relationship with Christians, with his church. He tied them together because there's something subtle that happens here that Jews, Jewish people would understand, but we don't really. This is called the cup of redemption, but Jesus called it, this is the cup of the covenant. What's going on there? What's happening? Jewish people back then would have understood it. We don't now, because what they would have understood it as is something we don't. They would have understood it as, they would have had a hard time understanding this new covenant idea, okay? But they would understand a cup of covenant because that was part of a Jewish engagement ceremony. Part of a Jewish engagement ceremony. What happened during that engagement ceremony? Well, here's what occurred. There was some guy and he just, boy, he had to marry that girl. She's, she's his heart. So he goes to her dad. Now, this is back then, so don't throw anything at me. But he negotiated a price for the bride, right? So this young man would negotiate a price for the bride. So talk to Dan Swift. And he would negotiate a price for the bride, and they would agree on it, all right? The price that Jesus negotiated with the Father was his blood, his death. So then the wannabe groom would go to this young lady that he wanted to be his wife. And he would basically say, he'd have this cup of wine called the cup of covenant. And he would take this cup and he'd say, I negotiated something with your dad, here's what it is. I want, I would like to ask you to marry me. And then he would drink of that cup and he would put it before her. And contrary to popular belief, she did have a choice. Okay? And if she chose to be his bride, she would take that cup the cup of the covenant, and she would drink from it. And then she would put on a veil. And the veil would say, I am no longer free. I have, I have given my heart to someone. I am betrothed. And she'd wear this veil until they got married. But that could be a long time ago, because, or a long time after that, because here's why. The groom then, after she said yes, would have to go and prepare a home for her. It was usually 
on the father, the groom's father's land, and he would prepare a home for her. Get the house ready, get it whatever. And here's the catch. The groom didn't get to decide when all the uh, remodeling was done. The groom's father would decide that, not the groom. So the groom might think, hey, it's all done. He said, ah, the father says, no, not quite. Does this sound familiar to anything you've heard in the word of God? This story of engagement and say, yes, the bride says yes to the groom and the groom goes and prepares a place and the father will determine when the place is ready so that the groom can go get his bride and bring her home. Take a look at God's word. John 14. In my father's house are many rooms. Again, this, this is during his discussion with his disciples in the Passover meal. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself where I am, you may be also. Isn't that sweet? Mark 13, 32 through 33, but concerning that day or that hour when Jesus comes again, for who? His bride. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Revelation, not revelations, I messed that up. When I saw, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, that was you. That fourth cup, or that third cup, when Jesus took it and said, you know what, this is the cup of the covenant. This is about me inaugurating this new covenant. And when we take that cup, it's like us saying again, you know what, Lord, I'm yours. You're my groom. You're my savior. You're my friend. And when we drink of it, we're saying, yes, Lord, I'm separated unto you. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that wonderful? My goodness, the, 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 the richness in the Lord's Supper that we take together and what it means to us, what it me- meant back then. And then they conclude with this. It's so great. They conclude the fourth cup of wine is called the cup of praise, right? How many times have I said this when I do communion? I say, well, what, the only response we can have to communion is praise. Well, guess what? That's the fourth cup in the Jewish Passover. It's the cup of praise where they sing Psalms 113 to 118. Open up your Bible. That's what they sing. They've been singing it for 3,500 years or whatever. They sing those hymns. And when the final song ends, they say this. They say, next year in Jerusalem. In other words, maybe within the next year the Messiah will come. Well, we know he has already come. And so what we're waiting for, 
is we're waiting for New Jerusalem when Jesus comes again. Amen? And that's the picture that we have. That's this last supper, this last Seder meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And it is so rich. And God said 1,500 years before Jesus had that Passover, here's how you're going to do it. And this is the day of the month. And this is the month. And this is what I want you to do. Because God was saying, I'm going to show you what's going to happen with Jesus. And Jesus comes and he, he follows the, the triumphal entry saying, I am the Lamb of God to be sacrificed. And he has this Passover meal, and he says, I'm the fulfillment of all the stuff you, you're doing. It's me. It's my body broken for you. This is the new covenant that I promised would come. It's here. And my hope is that whenever for the rest of your life you have the Lord's Supper or communion, you take that, you will have a greater depth and richness in your understanding of what it means when we take communion amen the richness of it see jesus his sacrifice but his intimate love for you your bridegroom and that as we take communion you would look to the past and remember the deliverance that jesus gave you from your sin from the punishment, the penalty that you had, that you will look to the present and realize that you have a restored relationship with the living God. You're not distant anymore. You can come boldly into the throne room. You are adopted as sons, as daughters, that you have a relationship that was not there, that was broken, that Jesus paid for on the cross, that now I can delight in my Lord and Savior. And that you would also look to the future. That there would be an expectation and a longing that, Lord, maybe today you would come again. Lord, next year in New Jerusalem. Right? So, brothers and sisters, I would pray that these truths would result in praise to God for His grace that He shows us in His new covenant for all who believe in him. So what else can we do but praise him? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe of you. Lord, we see how you took world events, freeing millions of your people from slavery, how you freed them. And you had a purpose even in the way you freed them. You told us to remember that. You told your people, remember this every year, pointing to Jesus 1,500 years before he came. And you had all the specifics. God, you are an awesome God. And Lord, then you sent Jesus, fully God and fully man, that he would come and fulfill the old covenant. He would live without sin and thought, word, or deed. And he would go to the cross and pay for sins that were not his own. Instituting the new covenant for every one of us who believe today, Lord. Then you gave us this wonderful relationship, Lord. Bridegroom and a bride. Lord, we are in awe of you. And I pray now, God, that as we continue to worship you today, Lord, would you cause this time after this sermon to be a deep and rich time of worship in spirit and in truth. For you are worthy and you alone are worthy. And all God's people said,
Amen. Let's stand and worship.